0: Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2000 film, In the Mood for Love. So this story takes place in Hong Kong in the early 60s, and it's in this apartment, and we meet these, uh, these two people who are married, Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan, and they live... Pretty much right across the hall yeah. from each other. It's a very They're very close,
1: very crowded apartment building. Yes. Yeah. And they
0: moved in on the same day, which is yeah. kind of funny because he's like, "No, that's that's next door. That's their stuff." Yeah, yeah. There. It keeps going. It's great. And going yeah. But um,
1: Mr. Chow, he's he's actually renting only one one uh, bedroom in in the residence of the cows. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Miss Chan and her husband are right are across the hall or right next door. I forget.
0: In, right next yeah. door.
1: So it's a very crowded situation. You have all kinds of people living there the landlord, a very nice lady, but kind of nosy, and a couple of other um, uh, families as well. So mm-hmm. very constricted, uh, busy space.
0: Yeah. And both of them are married. But as we've slowly realized each of their spouses is having an affair with the others and you can see sorta of early on we've because you know what's also interesting about this movie is when we see their spouses, we don't we just see them from behind. We hear we only hear them a couple of times and they're only really in like say the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie, and we never hear or see them. Yeah. We never get it we never get a good look at their actual face. We just yeah. like the wife of Mr. Chow, we see her hair. She has a specific hairstyle, so you know it's her when she's on the camera, but you don't see her face. Yeah. And Mr. Mr. Chan, Mrs. Chan's uh, husband, you, you don't see much of him either. You, yeah.
1: you don't even the only time you see him. him is a back shot one of the many Mahjong parties that, that are held there. Landlady really likes that game, so she has people playing all the time. He's sitting there once. Once. You only see his back, and you, you hear his voice once. Um, and that's it and i think that's a, a pretty clearly a case where the filmmaker is symbolizing their lack of presence mm-hmm. in the way he's cho- chosen to present them not only infrequently but faceless
0: yes and so that so both mr Chow and mrs Chan after being left alone by their spouses for so long and they both realize what's going on they form a relationship but they've Throughout that, they always have this thing where they say, We're never going to do what they did. You know, we keep this a platonic friendship, so to speak. Like he wishes to write a martial arts series, so she, you know, she visits him and helps him write out the series and proofreads it because she's had some experience working as a secretary for this boss. Yeah. But as time goes on, they form, even though they try to also try to discuss the affair that their spouses have had, and they discuss who would have started it, how do you, who made the first move. Mm How do you think this would have played out? Are they still together? Did they break up? They, they start to also develop feelings for each other, romantic feelings. And it's never quite declared in the movie whether they consummated their relationship. It's hinted at maybe, but it's never given a definite answer. Yeah. But eventually, because like you said, with the nosy landlords, some people are starting to realize what's going on. And they, they decide... He wants to go to Singapore because he has this friend who's always trying to get him to go to Singapore with them, and so he want uh, Mister Chow wants to go and he wants her to come with him, but she sort of hesitates and he leaves anyway. And when she goes, she meets because they have always stayed at this room. She she arrives, but he's already left. Yeah, and then at the last 20, 30 minutes is sort of them trying to meet up with each other but always missing, and you and also. They know they can have that opportunity, but they don't open that door, almost in the case, literally don't open the 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 door. door. Yeah. And so at the very final shot, a very powerful scene, the very ending of the movie, because he's talking about um, Angkor Wat, is that how you pronounce it? Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat, and how you go there, you you, uh, carve out a little hole and you speak, what it, like the secret you don't want anyone else to know is you speak it, and then you cover it up with mud. And he goes there, and he speaks the secret he's had, supposedly, yeah. about this love he's had of Mrs. Chan, and then he buries it in mud, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of those films that if you look on any kind of greatest films ever made, it's on near that list. I think it was, like, in the top 10 of the last 20 years by BBC. And I have to agree. I This is, I do agree.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, And uh, I, I would agree, too, because uh, it, it, it kind of does it in a, an interesting way. It visually, uh, visually, uh, it, it, it shows in the particularly in the rehearsals that the two main characters do and what they think are reenactments. It shows the kind of uh, soul searching that very often happens with um, um, a jilted uh, partner uh, in a couple, uh, especially when you know when they when they've been cheated on. Especially that's even worse of an affront to them. Um, the kind of thought processes they go through, and they ask themselves, "Well, how could this have ever happened?" could I have done something differently um what did the partner what were they thinking how could they do this and you see that you see these two actually rehearsing scenes uh that are uh supposed to be their spouses um interacting in 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 a way that uh that they're trying to figure out what attracted them to each other right mm-hmm. And in the process of doing so, you're right, they develop an attachment themselves and they feel ambivalent about it because, A, they do not want to do the same thing, uh, do that same kind of uh, moral injury, moral wrong, uh, even though you you could argue that the spouses have forfeited their right to be uh, uh, insulated from that kind of injury. They still don't want to do it because they don't want to be the same kind of a person that would do that but quite naturally because they've been drawn to each other for this kind of support and they're the only two people each one of them can look at the other and say this is the only person I can entirely confide in there is nobody else in that building they can confide in they uh, through no fault of the other people in this apartment building they their relationships with them are not that deep right because they're not sharing that that one awful secret. Um, So it's more or less surface with these people. And, uh, you know, every human being needs some some one person they can confide in, right? And uh, they've lost that person in their significant others. They've decided to go to someone else, and that hurts. That's deep. And you can see that in the cinematography, how they direct the actors um uh to behave and the, the long pauses and the furtive not just uh, uh, glances or anything like that but the furtive attempts to just hold each other's hands yeah. and they don't do this all the time and there's a minimal amount of that physical connection and they do leave it ambiguous in the film but i don't think they ever did consummate it
0: It it does leave it up into interpretation because there's the big scene when it's almost close to one of the last times they ever meet. They're going through reenacting her confronting her, uh, Mrs. Chan confronting her husband. Yes. And she starts crying saying, I didn't know it was going to be this difficult. And then he hugs her and embraces her and the camera slowly pans away from them out to the window. And we see like a twirling of the drapes or whatever and that's all we see it yeah but the big hint is that they might have consummated that relation because four or five years after they've moved on he comes back to that same area the apartment complex and it's a different landlord and says anybody else here is just a woman and her son yeah and he knows it's them but he refuses to open that door for whatever reason and he leaves and then we see who's in that it's Mrs. Chan yeah, and, this, and, her, and this child looks very young, so it's like, is that his son? Yeah, and, it,
1: and it's like you said, it's still ambiguous though, because it very well could be the the son of that husband. Yes, because by the time Chow leaves for Singapore, you know she's still with that husband, so we're, yeah. we're not quite sure whether uh, uh, he he was the father or not. Um, but I, I think there's enough enough hints there that they for some reason did not want to behave or become the same kind of people as their two spouses that they they didn't because if they did consummate it make it it would make more sense that they would go ahead and get back with each other at the end of the film because at the end of the film neither is with their former spouse right and They both at least think about it. I mean, uh, you know, you have that great set of scenes there when they both come back to Hong Kong, right? And uh, Mrs. Chan is first, and and she goes and talks to the landlady who is in the process of moving out and kind of hints around. She's curious, you know, who's living next door, and she finds out it's not Mr. Chow, and you see her looking out the window kind of sad about that. A little while later, we see Mr. Chow show up and he goes to the door of that former uh, uh miss Cow family's apartment that he was renting one room out of out of and he has that conversation with that man and he he's the one that tells him, yeah uh, I don't know the next door neighbor it's a woman and a child that's about all I know and he leaves it's this is a powerful scene just a quick but powerful scene. He leaves after having had that conversation and he goes to that door and he thinks about knocking on it and he doesn't right. And then that's when he goes to Cambodia eventually. Um, it seems to make more sense to me that uh, there would be that reticence to continue the relationship if the child wasn't his just seems to make more sense because there would be that additional pull um that would make it easier much easier to open that door as you said so to speak um if it was his child
0: yeah and getting back to we you're talking about their spouses their unfaithful spouses and you kind of wonder how much of this relationship they're having is mirroring what their spouses were. Because you said, like we said earlier, they you don't really see them much after the first 20, 30 minutes. We only get hints of their relationship. And the very last time we we hear the spouses is um, Mrs. Chan go, meets uh, Mr. Chow. I mean, Mrs. Chow. Mrs. Chow. And she's like, you know, she was, she's asking, do you know where my husband is? And she's like, well, nah, I don't know. Sorry. And then she closes the door and it's Mr. Chow. Is like, who was that? And she says, well, you know this is getting a bit too dangerous. We can't see each other yeah, anymore. And yeah. last time we see them, it's um, Mrs. Chow. Because like you said, you don't see her face, but you can tell by her hairstyle who it is. And she, and the water is running in the shower and she's sitting on a bed crying. Yes. They're crying. And that's the last time we see any of either of them. Either of them. That's so exactly You wonder right. how much of this relationship that they're having is mirroring their spouses. Yeah,
1: going through the same kind of a cycle. Yeah, And, uh, uh, it, it it would be very interesting if that if that was the case if if the 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 two people that were initially having that affair did also split up. Um, again, it looks like it's kind of hinted that this is uh, likely, and that there's something of almost cyclic nature with this. I think part of uh, what's going on in the film is this is a, a little bit of a commentary on that kind of a a lifestyle, which does not put a stigma on having extramarital affairs. Like, for instance, maybe, you know, the stereotypical view of uh, French society. Um, Maybe something like this was going on in Hong Kong in the early 60s. I honestly don't know. Um, But I think that there is a commentary here that even if it is consensual, Right. Uh, As it was certainly in the first case and somewhat in the second case. And even if there are attachments formed, um, it ends up being corrosive of not only the couples, but uh, uh, each individual's character. Not only does the relationship seem to dissolve, but the character seems to dissolve. They become less happy, miserable, obviously guilt ridden, I think. That's interesting that's an interesting commentary if it is the case that this will happen even in societies where this kind of behavior is accepted it seems to be some kind of an indicator that there's kind of a natural uh, propensity in human beings to form monogamous form a uh, or, or, uh, to form monogamous relationships and uh, uh, they in general are ha- more happy when they do that as opposed to uh, uh, Polygamous relationships. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, getting to where we're talking about Hong Kong, like this is one of the more fam- most famous, direct- maybe one of the most famous directors of Hong Kong cinema, Wong Kar Wai. And the fact that this was made in 2000, released in 2000, but it takes place in the early 60s. I think that is a mm-hmm. that that was on purpose. That wasn't you know accidental because we talked you said just a bit earlier how the landlord leaves, the landlady leaves, and it's yes. landlord replaces her. She talks about because that's briefly referring to the uh, china, uh cultural revolution that was going on particularly in china mainland china at the time of the communist party and wonder and it was always that uncertainty because um for those who don't know up until the 90s i believe uh, hong kong fell under british rule yeah so there was hong kong even though it was technically part of china it had different rules and even now that went to it fell under chinese rule like the rules and regulations for Hong Kong is different than mainland China, even though, you know, if you've been following the news lately, there's been big changes about that. Many people in Hong Kong are very upset what's going on there. Yeah. So just always that uncertainty that if be living in Hong Kong and not knowing what your connectionship is to mainland China or what that government's going to do and what the restrictions will be on your personal freedoms were.
1: Yeah, and I think that's also reflected not only in that last scene, but... Just in the fact that uh, Mr. Chow is um, very well traveled in the latter latter portion of that film, and he goes to Singapore, and then he uh, uh, ends up actually in Cambodia, and that's an that's an interesting connection there too, because this is the early sixties, and um, that whole area of the world, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, obviously there was a lot of uh, tension in that area and a lot of uh, fighting between communist forces and nationalist forces and China had an interest in that Russia had an interest in that France had an interest in that and so did the United States and uh, I think it is it's reflected in that uh he wanted to reflect that a little bit in that uncertainty and you you almost get the feel with the landlady that uh, she's she's evacuating before things get too bad it's not quite as dramatic as maybe the the evacuation we see in, in Casablanca when they're leaving Paris. Right. Yeah. But there's still that undercurrent, that dark undercurrent, you know, the, the communist forces are coming and and the halcyon days are going to be over with.
0: Yeah. And, I want to get back to one of the things you mentioned, um, just how in sort of the editing, how scenes with with between them take place longer. I mean, we know, you know, we talk philosophy at the movies. We I may mean, not focus a lot on the technical aspects like cinematography, but on this case, he almost feels like you have to because so much of that is spoken visually, which that's sort of Wong Kar Wai's thing. Yeah. It's because I was telling you before this uh, we watched this. I said get prepared to hear these same two songs over and over and over again. One was a um, you know orchestral piece. That was called Gimageji Theme by Shigeru Umbayashi, which was originally from a Japanese film in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, and that's played a lot. Like the one scene that always sticks out to me is you know early on in the film when both of the spouses are leaving them. They both individually go to like a noodle stand somewhere right outside their apartment yeah and as one leaves one goes one leaves the place one goes to the place and the music's playing and there's it's slow motion they're both just having a little glance at each other yeah how much that's sort of when they first start seeing each other and start start familiarating themselves with each other and just outside of the apartment yeah and even the there's the other song you hear all the time is a a song by nat king cole um he sings it in spanish but the main chorus of the song is him repeating in Spanish, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. And once again, how much that plays. Yes. And just, you know, perhaps if he opened that door, perhaps yeah. if, he, if she didn't arrive late at that hotel to meet him and go on to Singapore with him. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you know, part, part of what I think is conveyed with the, the highly repetitious soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, also is just the routine of their day-to-day lives you see them going to work and crossing each other's paths and it takes them a while to even notice each other at first they're just being you know polite neighbors Uh, but then they both kind of figure out uh, due to the compact nature of the living arrangements what's in fact going on and then they they feel compelled to discuss it with each other and I think the filmmaker does a really good good job of showing how, how very difficult it is for them to attain the privacy to do so in the way he sets up the shots when they're talking. It's always with, uh, with the camera as it were looking around the corner of a wall. And it looks like they're kind of trying to hide in a, in a corner or a crevice themselves and talk. And you always get this feeling that the neighbors are just around the corner listening. And, and then there's that great scene. Um, where they are in his apartment. And, you know, remember the cows have the big place. Well, I guess Mr. Cow's is kind of an alcoholic. And so they are in Mr. Chow's small apartment talking about something. It might have even been just the writing project that he had. He wanted to write a serial, and she was going to help him with it, right? All of a the sudden, they hear this commotion, the door banging open, and here comes... The whole crowd from the mahjong crowd, bringing Mr. Cow to his apartment because he is drunk, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they and then to make matter so they say, well, we've got to be very quiet here and there, and there's very little tight confined spaces. You know, he's got mm-hmm. a bed in there, barely room enough for a table, and he's got a hot plate, and he's they fortunately just got food, mm-hmm. so they do have food to eat, but then they realize. Um, that the landlady has decided she's going to have that mahjong game there in that apartment, and so we watch them having to sit there and wait this thing out. And that's that's the point where Mr. Chow decides, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go rent a room somewhere else. Um, and and they start meeting in that room, and it's interesting again, once again, in that latter part of the film, when they're you can see that where they're you see they're deciding whether or not to reconnect that they both go to that room and don't meet and don't stay long enough to run into each other and i think you see a little bit of tension there they do but they also don't want to meet each other again
0: yeah well there's even one particular scene they first have that meeting in that room and it's, it's the editing of the way because she goes up, she goes down, she goes up, she yes. goes down, it keeps going and going. The editing's just quick, quick, cut, 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 cut. Yep. Because she, she keeps going back and forth on what she wants to do. She eventually goes up there, but, you know, it's just she's still yeah. wrestling with that. They're,
1: they're wrestling with, you know, are we going to become our spouses? And it's interesting with her, too, now that I'm thinking about this. Um, it's not as if, and, and I think this reflects the commonality of the practice. It's not as if she's not familiar with uh, the kinds of maneuverings and, and um, prevarications that a cheating spouse has to, has to do. She's helping her boss do this with his wife and his mistress. She even goes so far as to buy, as to buy gifts for the wife and the mistress, if I'm not mistaken yeah. for this man. And then, um, He also, if I recall, uh, receives a tie from the mistress, and she somehow uh, gives him an impression, you know, if you wear that tie home, your your wife's going to be suspicious. And so he changes the tie to a more conservative one. She never actually says it to him. Mm -hmm. So I know she's probably feeling a little uneasy and a little guilty for having uh, helped him facilitate all that, At the same time that she's also flirting with the idea of doing the exact same thing, even though, again, her spouse has arguably forfeited his right to expect her monogamy. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, and I do want to bring up because you talk about this room they're in. Yeah, there's a you see like the actual room number. It is twenty forty six. Yeah, and if people who are familiar, especially with Wong Kar Wai's movies, is that he made a movie called Twenty Forty Six, and it is a spiritual sequel to this movie. And because it, it, it doesn't follow uh, well, uh, I'll get into it a little bit later. But it doesn't necessarily follow Mrs. Chan. But the main character is Mr. Chow, the actor Tony Leung, returns, and it's sort of following the aftermath. He basically he gets that room. So the list starts living in there and starts meeting all these other people, but the main thing is he's become just so broken over this what could have been that he becomes a compulsive womanizer and sort of gambler, and starts has has all these different affairs with women, but he always keeps it like distant because he doesn't want to get serious anymore because he's just, oh, he's just my not goodness. available, and I. Oh, this my movie goodness. is considered, 2046 is, you know, most people like it, but like I said, I'll be that one out of five dentist that doesn't recommend it, just because I didn't really buy that complete 180 the character does, even if he's yeah. just had this completely life-changing thing. I still don't buy it, and there are other things that I don't like about it, because actually, the actress, Maggie Chung, appears in that movie, and I think supposedly she plays that same character, and they have a meetup. But then I think it's revealed that this is a different character or huh. something. It's like it's oh. Mrs. Chan number two. I'm not 100%. That's her evil twin sister maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Because it's trying to be – it's a very, it's another very atmospheric film because yeah. he's writing a sci-fi novel. And there are scenes that like are taking place inside that sci-fi novel. And I, oh, I didn't like okay. it. I, I didn't like it. I'm sorry. I'll, like I said, maybe if somebody who's listening to this show – and tell me where i'm so wrong and that it's actually a brilliant continuation of this movie but i, I didn't like uh, you know the,
1: it just sounds like the character transformation of mr chow is almost totally unbelievable he doesn't come across as a guy that would uh, become a womanizer right in a as it were a party animal he, he seems entirely too thoughtful right and he's never
0: a guy that likes to party
1: no and he would rather i think he he would he he's not a loner but i I think he's a he he comes across very much as a much more introverted person and somebody that would be dissatisfied with a large series of superficial relationships as opposed to just one really good deep one and that's what comes across from him he's He's devastated by the fact that, for whatever reason, he can't do it in this first movie. So devastated that he remembers what he told Li, Li Ping, his friend that had talked him into uh, uh, going to Singapore to do business with him, right? He tells Li Ping that story you said about um, what what people sometimes traditionally have done when they have some deep, dark secret that they know they can't communicate to anybody, but they would still like to unburden themselves of and the idea there was to you you find a tree and find a knot hole in the tree or dig one yourself and then you lean into that tree and you tell it that secret and then you take a a a daub of mud and and put it in the hole and that's supposed to seal it and it's supposed to also have have, uh, uh, relieved you of uh, the guilt or whatever it is that 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 secret entails right Uh, so and he 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 he's obviously long thought long and hard about that. By the time he gets to Angkor Wat in Cambodia, which is in 1966. <laughs> so that's three years later. And it's affected him so much that he does that same thing in the ruins of Angkor Wat, not a tree, but he finds a little hollow and in, in one of the pillars there. And, and, and a Buddhist uh, monk actually is watching him do this. That's kind of cool. And, uh, um, tells a secret and then puts the mud daub in. Seems to me that he's a very kind of thoughtful and emotionally mature guy. And the, the thought of him turning into Hugh Hefner yeah. <laughs> just doesn't ring true with his character and it wouldn't with Mrs. Chan either. I
0: well, mean, so if you want to get, if, if you you know. want to get
1: Hugh Hefner. It's the other two spouses or Mrs. Chan's boss.
0: Well, it wasn't the tale about Hugh Hefner. It was before he started Playboy that he found out his wife was having an affair. And so basically that was just his entire way of getting back at the female species. Maybe
1: so. I did not know that story. That might be ap- apocryphal. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy of the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale, though you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and the Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds. For each episode, I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. For saying so long, be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.